Welcome to The Party Pal, the mind-bending film and television podcast you didn't know you needed. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Shields, here with your other host today, Mitch Lucas. Mitch, how's it going? Good. How's it going? It's going well. It's going well. Before we dig in, just a quick reminder to everyone out there that we are part of the Osiris Media Group. Head over to OsirisPod.com. Check out all the... uh, uh, vast array of podcasts they have. There's one I listened to today that I thought was incredible. It was, it's a, a newer one called The Festival Circuit. Um, it's about Jazz Fest in New Orleans, and it had me yearning to uh, visit New Orleans, see live music, and attend a Jazz Fest again. It's awesome. Really, really well made. And uh, uh, So check that out, and check out everything at OsirisPod.com. So Mitch, I wanted to, uh, before we get going... Um, one thing we you did for our last episode, um, you created a piece of artwork that was a companion piece to the uh, Fellini eight and a half episode, and um, yeah, which was wonderful. That was that was really cool work. What is that? Just like black and white sketching? Yeah, I was just feeling uh, I don't know experimental, and I do a lot of pastel drawing. I do a lot of drawing in general, but. <clears throat> I was inspired looking over eight and a half to uh, to mm-hmm. draw this dance scene in a very quick gestural approach, and uh, yeah, I showed it to you, and we we were thinking about you know uh, giving that out or doing more of them in the future. Uh, yeah. I guess we'll have to see if the it. audience is is enjoying them. You know, I you know I thought I love it. I mean, if if they aren't, um, I would love, especially that Fellini one. There's a lot of movement to it. You could you could feel the dance scene, which is such a cool cool scene. What I was thinking is, you know, we were talking about some uh, giveaways um, or any you know uh, some reason to give it out. But I figured if anyone's listening, and you know, if you're listening, you're you're a fan of the show and a supporter, and and we really really appreciate that. If, um, you know, if you see, you know, Mitch's drawings at any point on Twitter, uh, that's at to the party pal at T.O. The party pal or on Insta on our Instagram. That's party underscore pal underscore podcast. If you see that work and see us mention it, just hit us up. And if you uh, if you want it, that's isn't that a cool isn't that like kind of a breezy way to uh, do the giveaway? If someone reaches out, they're inspired by it and they listen to the episode and they're feeling it. Yeah. Just if you want it, come get it. Take it. That shows that they're a fan. You know, it's like, hey, exactly. If you're listening and interested, you can have that. That's it. That's our contest. If you want it, right. if you're listening, if you're with us for these parties, <laughs> yeah. come come and get it. So I, uh, my guess is and my hope is that you're inspired to do more of those. I think it's awesome. I loved uh, I loved sharing those and I just enjoyed it myself. So um, maybe just a preface, go, go just on. a preface, we'll send it to them. They don't have to come to my house and get it. No, yes, it's it's we'll we'll handle the um, the shipping, the yeah. handling, the 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 whole okay. thing. You don't have to uh, run through New York at this moment. No no travel required. Um, there's a chance that uh, Mitch could be inspired by today's episode because we're digging back in. We're going we're we're, we're going to another classics. We're go- actually a whole kind of uh, period of time. Uh, we're going to the French New Wave. Um, this is a, a French art film movement which emerged in the late 1950s, known as the French New Wave. As I just said, the movement is characterized by its rejection of traditional filmmaking in favor of experimental filmmaking. Uh, New Wave filmmakers explored a new approach to editing, visual style, and narrative. And uh, they often delve into existential themes and a whole bunch more themes we'll talk about today. But really, it is considered one of the most influential movements in the history of film. And here uh, today... 
we are going to uh, try to explore why. And we're, we picked a couple, two films that um, are from this era that we, we're going to focus in on and um, dig into. But let's just start, you know, kind of generally with, with French New Wave in general. And I'm curious, what does the French New Wave mean to you, Mitch? What does it mean to me? I think it's breaking convention. I think it's still, you know, making mm-hmm. with what you have available. It's not not waiting until you have permission, but it's just doing it with what what you have in yeah. front of you. And uh, a lot of the methods that they were using to make films are really what you would consider mainstream digital cinema today. Uh, you know, shooting with your friends, shooting on the street, uh, you know. But at the time, what they had available, was they didn't have any of the digital cinema that, that we had. They had Camiflex uh, cinema cameras. So these were cameras that were used for scenery. Uh, they were very loud cameras. They were portable cameras, but they were very loud. Um, usually, usually in those times, you had to have a very large camera for sync sound so that the camera would be very silent. And it had a lot of padding and a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, sound uh, silencing, um, you know, inner workings. These cameras were really loud, so they weren't filming. They weren't recording sound on location. They were dubbing it later. And all of this was in... In, in an effort to make films their way without uh, without all of the uh, financial burdens that you know the studio systems uh, filmmakers within those systems were dealing with so we look at them now and if you're looking at these films for the first time they feel like film school films but in the most beautiful way because you realize these guys were just breaking convention and, and doing it their way um, and they're really revolutionary yeah, I, I think that's what I find so inspiring. It's, I mean, this was a movement. This, I mean, this is this is as independent as it gets when it comes to film. I mean, they they this this group of filmmakers that that are well known in this um, time period and and in the French New Wave, they want it to be bold. They they want it to defy convention, as you mentioned. And um, you know, the vibe I'm getting and everything you know I've learned about uh, French New Wave is that they really wanted it to be. Art. They want it to be a means of expression that that's you know kind of on par with a painting or, in, or with a novel and 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 I mean and, and I believe that cinema and they did it there and you know many people in that time period who were great artists and great filmmakers did it as well but I mean they they were part of a movement that that did make film that just it, it was art and it was it was you know cutting edge and and didn't feel the the kind of cookie cutter studio system type way. I mean, this is, I mean, this movement has its roots in rebellion against kind of past outdated ways of doing things. And I think that's incredible. Absolutely. And what you're talking about as a film being more like a painting is absolutely true. These, uh, you know, directors like Godard and Truffaut, in a sense, they uh, were utilizing um, traditional plots and traditional genres to create their own statements. And when you watch these films, you, you are thinking to yourself, this is sort of like a gangster film or a crime film, but it's also like an art piece. And I don't know where one yeah. begins and the other one ends. And that was absolutely <laughs> their aim. They were trying to use yep. the, the what we see as cinema and they were trying to tweak it in the same way where, you know, if we look at Van Gogh, you could, if he told, if you said, well, he painted haystacks and the sky and these things, you wouldn't, you would think of that as traditional or classic. But in, when you actually see it in real life, you're realizing mm-hmm. he's, it's really what he does with it, and that's what I would say about, especially someone like Godard. It's really what he's doing with the gangster genre or the crime genre, more uh, specifically in Breathless, and changing it and making it about something else. Absolutely. Well. Uh, Breathless is going to be one of our films uh, that we're going to discuss by John uh, Luke Godard. And he, um, when I was watching that, and in and, and any of these films from uh, French New Wave, in you know this is this is a period of time that is you know in the, the late fifties and early sixties, and I'm watching it, and it still felt bold. It still felt groundbreaking, and and cool, and and cutting edge. Like I was trying to think, you know, and I. Obviously, the list is so long of who they, you know, they inspired. And I just kept thinking of films. And I'm sure I'll mention them and we will mention them that that they inspired uh, throughout the years. But I'm almost looking at this. I'm like, you know, who what filmmakers that I consider greats weren't inspired 
by this period. It's that revolutionary and that like intense. And you know, uh, the other film we're going to speak on is called Four Hundred Blows. Um, that's directed by Francois uh, Truffaut, and um, he, uh, you know, you could they were purposely, as we uh, suggested, alluding. Um, convention, defying convention, and and you know he at one point he wrote um, kind of like this manifesto like essay. It's in uh, 1954 before he really got going, where he he denounced safe literary works and and unimaginative films. This was this was a purposeful. Um, uh, that's why I use the word rebellion. This was this was a clap back at how things were being done, kind of in the the wake of uh, World War II and moving into reimagining a new future and uh, filmmaking as a new art. Yes, and uh, specifically with Godard and Truffaut, they were formerly uh, writers and film critics uh, for a magazine called Cashier du Cinema. So <clears throat> both of them, in, in making their films, it, it was a sense of like putting your money where your mouth is. And they, and I know Godard really thought of his films as criticism. So when you watch these films, there is a commentary yeah. there about what he feels about cinema, what he feels about art. I mean, he is commenting, you know, and, but that is, that is revolutionary in, at that time. And, uh, and yeah, th- with regard to filmmakers, I mean, we're going to have a lot of fun talking about what scene reminds me of another, s- something that we've seen in modern, you know, modern cinema. Absolutely, it's gonna. I feel like that's gonna be peppered throughout and come up a lot. It's yeah. just it's something I thought about the entire time. Like, I, it, you know, when I was watching a bunch of these films, I'm like, oh, that's gonna be where he got that, or you know, on and on and on. So let's, um, you know, before we even get into these two films that that kind of really represent, um, you know, what the movement is all about. Um, what is it? What what do these films look like? You know, we have to talk about the characteristics of them, and, and a couple of them. And I know you could speak more on it. Um, uh, long takes is 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 a big thing that they do. It's it's you know they're they're not afraid to let the the take breathe. Um, there's um, discontinuous editing is something that that a few of these directors lead on. There's um, you know there's when we lean towards the narrative. There's you know a bunch of narrative ambiguity. And then there's a whole bunch of themes, but I mean, visually, before we get into the themes, visually, what does a new wave look like to you? Or, you know, how would you describe that more aptly? Well, I would think of it as a lot of handheld. Um, if, if you're on a dolly, mm-hmm. you're probably on, you know, a wheelchair like we would do, like you would do in film school. Um, visually, black and white, certainly early on, um, which I love because uh, it really it makes it more bold to me um, to see the Paris streets and a lot of Parisian streets. That's definitely something you're going to see with yeah. uh, French new wave. You're going to see people walking along uh, beautiful streets, uh, you know, in, in Paris places that I've uh, been hearing about since impressionism and Monet. And, and that's, it's yep. like a continuation of my idealized, you know, uh, thoughts or I- imagination of, of Paris and uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of outdoor, a lot of outdoor scenes, the indoor scenes, like you said, a lot of long takes. Um, One thing I read was that, you know, they, they had a certain time that if they could get the running time up to a certain point, it could play as a feature. And a lot of the directors didn't write scripts. So they would either have really long takes or they would come up, they would come up with dance sequences that took 10 minutes, they would come up with scenes that were, you know, cutaway <laughs> scenes that really didn't maybe lend themselves to the rest of the film. Anything they could to get the running time up. And that's where you have a lot of the the fun, playful, uh, sort of odd oddities that you see in these films that you're like, why is this happening? Um, if you were to look at films like Band of Outsiders, you'd see a lot of those types of uh, examples. Yeah, that's kind of where the magic lies, though, in, the, in that, like, there's so much uniqueness in that. I'm, I'm kind of, this is going to be an aside, and we'll come right back, but, I mean, some of those long takes, and there's going to be one I know we're going to talk about in Breathless, but um, I don't know where you stand on kind of the mumblecore genre, but I couldn't help but thinking about that, you know, um, just, you know, some of the some some of the mumblecore films, you know, I love you think you of know, Alex, Francis Haha. Yeah, or, Alex Ross Perry, the films he's doing now really play a lot yeah. to the French New Wave. I mean, he's a amazing filmmaker yeah. and his cinematography really it 
it sort of speaks to that, but it's also, you know, he's, he's doing something modern with it, obviously, but there's no, yeah, you, you look at his films and he's absolutely being inspired by that, by uh, French New Wave. Absolutely. I mean, even Cassavetes yes, and, you know, I mean, the, uh, Link, you know, Richard um, Linklater's films, all the, before uh, Sunrise and Sunset, those, I mean, just, yeah, that's, that, that genre kept coming to mind in some of these long tape takes but um the the, the handheld camera and it, i think it lent itself you know and a lot of this was you know yeah driven by you know economic um reasons and and, and you even mentioned how you know uh, some of the the shaping of the film and what it looks like was driven by you know different purposes whether to make it longer or not um but that that smaller camera they were using i think it led itself to making a lot of in- unique, you know, probably because they had to or or whatnot, but um, film shots. I was just, I was floored by um, once we get into and, and, you know, Breathless, there's scenes where they're driving in the car and there's just, you know, they're they're just the the cameras just on one person or like the whole time or just really unique shots that like lend himself to kind of like the means that they were shooting them and it, it it's it created a sort of magic that might not have happened if they weren't limited or weren't taking chances or just it's the limitations they had led to some really special moments if you ask me absolutely especially with the limitation of you know using a very a much lighter camera um that's that's an advantage that you have over a sound a sync sound camera that's going to be three times the size and is going to have to be on a tripod or it's going to have to be on a, a very large mechanism. They're holding this in their hand. They're in the backseat of the car. Uh, you know. And at this time, car scenes were done in studios with rear projection. And we're just seeing, you know, they're not recording the sound. They're going to do it later. So we're just seeing the real thing. And, and all these, you know, all these Parisians that you're seeing on the street, these are real people. They're hiding in mail trucks yep. and uh, anything they can to sort of hide the camera, but you, you're going to see the people looking <laughs> into the so camera. Cool. There's no one, there are no extras in these films. It's, I think they had a crew of eight. So anyone you see in these films that walks into the scene, that's a person on their way to the bank or on their way to the laundromat or whatever they're doing. And that's how I love to make films now. I wish, you know, I, I wish it was more, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> It's more commonplace now, um, but I still love, I yeah. love the the experience of just being out on the street doing dialogue scenes. It's a lot harder than it looks when you're trying to actually record sound. But so hard, uh, you know. I could go on and on about this. Sorry, so many, so 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 many, so many extra variables yeah. when that's the case. But it's so rogue and so, you know, DIY and just it's really yeah. it's awesome. It's the whole thing feels. Like I said, it still feels cutting edge and it still feels revolutionary in film to this day. And that just that just blows my mind. And um, thematically, some of the things they're talking about are, are things that are, you know, some of the more cutting edge films or more daring films or more art house films are, are really still speaking on today, whether it's like the absurdity of the, the human existence and the human condition um, you know, there's a lot of uh, social commentary in there, you know, um, you know, stress, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, I guess 400 blows and um, breathless. We'll talk about that. But I mean, also the idea of stressing individual in individuality over like the individual really over systems. There's they're speaking to a lot of things that are like really probably bolder at the time, but are still still, you know, intense um, ideas thematically. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, what we're deal- what we're going through right now. I mean, this would be a a French New Wave filmmaker's dream. I mean, they they wanted to speak out <laughs> no on doubt. the political issues of their time, and they were that was a big focus on them was to be vocal about how they felt in, about the world. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about two films. I already mentioned them, but. Um, uh, one of those is The 400 Blows. And uh, you want to start there, Mitch? Is that cool? Yes, I'm ex- so excited to talk about that. Yeah, so that's the 1959 film directed by Francois uh, Truffaut, a film about a misunderstood adolescent in Paris who struggles with his uh, parents and teachers due to his rebellious behavior. What's really interesting to me here is uh, 
you know, right when I finished the film, um, and I watched it recently. I've seen Breakfast before, but I watched um, 400 Blows recently for the first time. And right when it finished, I'm like, what does that name mean? And this is a case where the uh, literal translation of the name uh, failed to capture its meaning at all. They, they took the French term and they, they literally translated it. And it came out to 400 blows. But what the French terminology that was the title meant was an idiom that meant to raise hell. And it just didn't translate perfectly, but they just kind of went with it. I think to raise hell would have been a really um, uh, yeah, great, I wish that would have been. That's a home run, really. That changes a lot. That, that changes my... I love that title. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, that changes my whole outlook on what, you know, maybe even what it was about. But... Um, it's a it's a film that if you you told somebody well it's about a kid that rebels he can't quite find his place you know I would think you would you it would fall short of telling someone what this film really is about it's you just have to see it and then you realize that there's something uncanny going on that just makes this film uh, like a holy grail of cin- of cinema and you you can't quite put your finger on it it's just. It's just art. It's just beautiful. You really feel for this kid, um, but, you know, especially because of how great this actor is. You know, he had so never acted good. before, and he just came in. I don't know if you ever saw the audition for this, but he just came no. in like literally that that kid in the movie was him in real life. He came in off the street, and he was like, yeah, I get into lots of trouble. I'll do whatever, you know. And he just had that attitude like, fuck you. I'll probably steal your wallet. I don't know. <laughs> and It comes off in the film. And there was... Yeah, it wasn't acting, you know. They found the real version of this kid in real life, and he plays the character. And uh, they did a number of films uh, with uh, with this actor, and, and we get to follow his story. Uh, yep. But none of them are more, you know, I don't, I don't think any of them are as poignant as uh, 400 Blows. Yeah, it really, it's, it has gone down as one of, like, the most important films from this era, and it's 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 affected people deeply to this day. And um, I was taken uh, I was taken by it visually right away. It's it's really it's 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 stunning to just behold. And I think that I really um, I think my jaw was dropping when they do. Uh, he's on that spinning ride. That's what I was just like. This is, uh, you know, oh, when yeah. he's kind of spinning around, he's kind of sh- contorting his body there, and, uh, and and they're they're taking all these, you know, even though it's minimalistic filmmaking, they they are taking time to take all these different viewpoints from that shot, and and there's reaction shots, and there's just different angles, and it's weaved together pretty yeah. well for as minimalistic as it is. It's 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 very very complex, yeah. and, and 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 really works on that. But the film is. There's times where I found it very exhilarating. You know, it brought me back to my youth in ways and, you know, running away as a child to me was very exhilarating. I had some moments and, and, you know, there was, there was, you know, a lot of connection there to classroom experiences, but it was, it was ultimately really unnerving and, 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 you know, it it was, it was heartbreaking with his family. And then it does go deep into the systems and, you know, it's 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 got a ton of social commentary on how kids are treated within uh, juvenile systems, and that was that was pretty messed up stuff. Yeah, and I think you know, we what the what the the system within the film failed to do was really to look at uh, look at this character as a as a kid, and you mentioned the the. Sp- the scene where on they're on that spinning uh, I can't remember I don't know what it's actually called but they I don't either he's he, it spins so fast that he's actually breaking gravity and he's mm-hmm. sideways on this thing and you get to see the childlike wonder that exists in him that's been buried for the whole film yeah. come out and there's no there's no acting there you can see that that he's really experiencing it you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's just beautiful to see this kid being a kid both as the actor and as the and as the character, um, but it's I, that's something that I got out of that scene and, and out of the whole film is that what is expected of him is almost like too much and they it is they don't let a kid be a kid and every attempt he makes at being a kid sort of pushes him deeper and deeper uh, against you know this uh, these sort of social rules that he's just not understanding. You know, there's a disconnect between him where even when he tries, 
he doesn't quite do it right when he, yep. you know, and um, it, it's it's heartbreaking to see him really try to do the right thing and still fail uh, over and over again. You're right. He was he was not treated um, specifically by the system and and I'd say his mother, but by the system. When I mean, we see when he gets thrown in jail, he's thrown in jail and basically sharing a cell than a than a, a car with you know just common thieves or prostitutes of the day. I mean, he's. He's really right in it. But, um, you know, there were times where, you know, you could see him like, yeah, you alluded to it perfectly. Finding that childhood joy or even seeing um, his father, his stepfather at first, like they they had a nice connection. He was like a really, you know, he had his father, he had he had humor and spirit. And um, but, you know, his, his mother was really rough and she really wouldn't, you know, let, let him have that freedom and that enjoyment. And, you know, it's really, it's, it's a hard coming of age tale. And, you know, that's, I I guess that's true of many coming of age tales of almost any time, but specifically of this time period as well. And yeah, it's, 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 it was, it was unnerving to me, you know, the idea of even just seeing him in that jail and thinking of kids in cages and, you know, just, it's, it's, it, there was a lot that was spinning through my mind about, you know, just how damn hard it is, you know, coming up these yeah. days, you know, <laughs> then he made it all worse for himself with the, uh, he went pretty nuclear with that whole, um, his mother's dead lie, huh? Well, how you talk about the visuals playing into that, you know, this, I think the shot that really hit me to, to where the, it was like a turning point for me, realizing that I was watching something, that was so groundbreaking and, and actually hit me on a personal level was he's in the paddy wagon being taken away and he's watching, it's like a rainy, foggy night and he's watching how beautiful yeah. the city is and he really doesn't know where he's going and what's going to happen yeah. to him. And he's almost sort of mesmerized despite the, the, the very dangerous situation that he's in or the unknown that he's dealing with. He's sort of mesmerized by the beauty of it all. And I just, I, I, that scene plays in my head. Uh, over and over again and you know that makes me think of yeah. is um you know the next film we're going to talk about and we don't need to go there yet but like the next film we're going to talk about is breathless and one thing that kept getting me um is that uh the main character you know the criminal and breathless there was point and he's a you know he's as we'll get into he's not the best human being no there was many points where he was stopping and enjoying the just within passing enjoying the beauty of paris or he couldn't help but stop himself and, and and be kind of struck by the beauty that's around him and right. and um I think I think that's happening for the characters in both these films but it's also happening all the time as you're watching these films the way you know it's amazing that they were so limited and the way that they lit these shots and everything cuz it's gorgeous it's stunningly gorgeous watching watching these streets watching these even the harder scenes like you're talking about where he's pulled away in the paddy wagon yeah, I mean, and they were just filming what was there, and you know they weren't. There was no set design, yeah, so exactly. to speak. And yep. you know, it's something to to real to remember as a filmmaker that you might not think the world around you is beautiful, but some days you're going to realize how beautiful it was. Um, so, yep. you know, they captured what was beautiful about their own world very well, uh, and. Uh, of the two films, you know, I, I'm glad we we're talking about 400 Blows first because I feel like it's the one that sort of affects me the most. And it, it yep. just really, uh, you know, it's, I don't know. It's it's hard to talk about because it's a visually, it's about the visuals for me and I about agree. the emotions that the yep. visuals bring out. It's just, it's just sort of perfect. And there's just so much mm. in there. That's like the sadness that there's always a poignancy in comedy, and it's a funny film and a sad film, visually stunning yep. film. And and you like the scene with uh, all the kids watching the puppets. I don't know why that's. Yeah. I don't know why that scene moved me so much because I think because it was real. Mm-hmm. It re, you could really tell that these were just a bunch of little kids watching puppets in a theater. Definitely. Um, that, yeah, there's there's there all their eyes were lighting up. It was wild. Yeah, and that was what they were, these guys were about, and that's what they captured. And yep. you know, it, it's uh, something that we're very lucky to still have around. You're right. Just discussing like the narrative and the kind of like the commentary and the themes present, it really doesn't do it justice. It does. It is something. 
it's, I mean, it's a true art house piece that you need to let wash over, you know, wash over you and kind of just fully give over to and take in. Is this really, this is the directorial debut of uh, Trufant, isn't it? This is his first film. Yes, yes. That's, I that's incredible. So. That's absolutely yeah. incredible. It's, I mean, it turned out, you know, in the long run, it was his most successful film, uh, and it's acclaimed universally. Um, I'm a huge Fahrenheit uh, 451 fan. He, um, later in his career, I'm, I haven't watched it. I just found it, and I'm going to watch it probably even tonight. Um, he directed the first movie adaptation of Fahrenheit 451, and uh, I, heard it's, I heard it's stunning. I need to check that out. What other... Um, I know you're more versed in, in this um, in French New Wave than me. Uh, are there any of his other films that um, that you could stare us to- towards at all? Yes, um, Jules and Jim would be the next Truffaut film that I would yeah. go for. Uh, Godard, mm-hmm. I would uh, I would hit my life to live. Um, that mm-hmm. is uh, the French title's Vis of. Vis-a-vis, I don't know. I would have to, I, mm-hmm. now I don't have the title in front of me and I can't remember the third word, but, uh, my life yep. to live no is worries. the no English uh, version. It's, uh, uh, Anna Karina, who, uh, mm-hmm. is uh, a big name in French, uh, new wave. And, uh, she, she stars in this, uh, she's in band of outsiders as well. Those are, and actually band of outsider, That's band of outsiders is like, that was the one I was sitting here. Wait, why can't I remember this? But I would start with Band of Outsiders. I'd go to Jules mm-hmm. and Jim, and then I'd hit My Life to Live. Band of Outsiders really is up there, I think, with uh, 400 Blows in terms of importance. Uh, Impact. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And influence. Yeah. Let's go breathless. It's time. The 1960 crime drama written by John Luke uh, Goddard about a wandering criminal and his American girl girlfriend. Like I said, this... Uh, this one just felt bold and groundbreaking, even like I said, even now. And it just, I was just, uh, it, it's a, it's a flooring film, and it's, 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 it's jarring in a lot of ways. What, um, how do you feel about Breathless? It, it's a, it's a film that I think is intentionally playing odd to me. Um, it, it almost starts out like Buster Keaton with the, with the, the crime element is, is so quick that it, it throws you, and I loved how. Yeah, it, there's not a lot of there's really not a lot of plot here. You know, we he's done something really bad in the beginning. He's not he's mm-hmm. not really facing reality. He he could yep. he could be on the run, but he's really more just hanging out in the city. And that's what one of the other things I really love about the new wave and this time period is like there's a lot of hanging out and just talking when there should be something more when there's something more important <laughs> to be dealt with. And you get yeah. that a lot with Tarantino. You get that a lot with Richard yeah. Linklater. I mean, goes yep. on and on. People who just let scenes breathe, and I'm sure you can. You're going to talk more about that. But uh, it's a film that has a lot happen in the first five minutes, and then and then it sort of slows down, and we and we're just sort of uh, lounging in this film for a while. Yeah, I love the Buster Keaton uh, reference, right? But that criminality in the beginning. It's um, the beginning really does take take hold of you, and it's just he's. He's kind of driving through the countryside. But one thing happened that I, and I'm not even sure if I'm right about this, but I, I, I believe I am. He, um, he's driving, right? And so he starts talking to the camera and I actually love the lines he says. He's like, if you don't like, uh, if you don't like, if the, you shore, don't like the shore, if you don't like the mountains, the mountains, if you don't like the city, then get stuffed, he says. Get stuffed. <laughs> but um, something that's I attributed to the, um, you know, French New Wave films is that idea of talking, turning and talking, breaking the fourth wall, ter- turning and talking to the camera. Is this where it began? It, from, from, I've read multiple things uh, just when researching these films that this is, this is, I don't know, odds are, you know, it's come through plays. From, I'm talking about within cinema. I think a lot of people use yeah. it uh, because they were in, inspired by these French New Wave films, and that's amazing that they, this, they really blew that up. I... I- can't say I have no I have no verification that that's the first time it was used, but it, I would say that he was. Yeah, I've seen it from yeah. plays from from you know hundreds of years ago. It's not right. like that 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 tools not, but I mean I think I think it really yeah. revitalized it in cinema from and everything I understand. He was certainly yeah. breaking every rule in this film. This was his first film, so you're obviously talking about someone who doesn't. 
he's not quite at a point where you know he's he's like <laughs> holding back or, or or you know he's letting loose and there's jump cuts there's just tons of devices here that he's exploring and you know it, it's can, can I stop you right there just because I mean the jump cuts is a big thing this is something that um, is very uh, prevalent in this film. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping there's some people who are listening who, um, you know, wanted to learn more about what these films are about. And if there were, um, you know, what is the jump cut? So how, how would you describe so them? So a jump cut is a cut in a scene that doesn't change enough for you to feel that you've moved forward narratively. So um, if you were to take a scene, if you were to take, me talking to you from the same from one angle shoot the scene over again from the exact same angle but take two Mm -hmm. different versions of it you would get a jump because of whatever change wherever my hand was wherever my head was but it would be virtually the same so it would just feel like a jump yeah they're very they could be very jarring i'm I'm curious how you feel about yeah there's uh, there's times where i thought that wow that was really cool there's times like it almost felt like a bad yeah i think that they are something that, you know, Wes Anderson used them a lot when he started out in uh, Rushmore. Uh, there's a scene where yep. uh, they're in the elevator, uh, Max and uh, Mr. Bloom and uh, Mr. and Bill Murray sort of had it. And he's like smoking. He has like he's he's lighting a cigarette, but he already has one in his mouth. And they're <laughs> using the jump cut to sort of show every time it, every time there's a jump cut, I think he has a different an, another cigarette in his mouth. And uh it's something yeah. <laughs> that can be used to explore anxiety. It can be something that ju- uh-huh. just jumps ahead in time. But I think it would have been derived from documentary, where uh, in documentary they're just filming yeah. a scene for long, uh, for an hour, and you want 10 minutes, so you're just going to take the 10 best minutes. I like it as a tool. I, I think that it uh, you know, needs to be used uh, sparingly. Uh, another film that... It, and with finesse, yeah. it needs to be used yeah. with finesse. He didn't use it with it, it, it done in a very finesse. no, no. I mean, and, well, the thing here was it, there was like, and, and we've discussed it already. There was financial reasons for a lot of decisions that were made, and he made this film super long, and he was told that, um, and I think he cut out. He had to cut out. It, 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 I saw numbers that were over an hour, but you know, some of the reason, some of the ways that he did that was to this jump cut, and I think I don't think he just did it. You know, because of that, I think he was actually starting to use it as a tool and enjoying it or, you know, using it stylistically. But it did have to do with 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 cutting it down. But that was that's something that was really, um, you know, it just kind of jumps out uh, at uh, about this film. Um, it's really, you know, we see these films these days where there's you got this low life character and they're so intriguing. I mean, something about this character was really intense. He was. um he was he's a true scumbag. I mean, he's a misogynist. He was uh he's 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 tough to you know, root for and relate to, but yet he's fascinating to watch. And I think that's something that, you know, I know a lot of people and I work with a lot of writers and and you know, everyone's like you want someone to, you know, you you, you try to get a character that you can root for. And yes, that's something I do do understand and but I think it's so compelling when you can get someone to want to stay along or jump on the ride and stay along the ride of, of someone that's despicable and could, because they're fascinating or because of what they're exploring through that despicable, you know, despicable nature. And I think a lot of that was here. We were exploring just this, just who this scumbag was and going on the ride with, with, you know, someone who, who, who is, is very unrelatable and unlikable. Yeah, I, as I was watching this film, I knew in my head that there was a, there was somebody I'd seen in film that was exactly this character, and I could not figure out who it is. Ew. But the, the closest I could come uh-huh. would be to the Softy Brothers films, maybe Uncut Gems, where you've got a yes. guy who's great. He's call. got an answer for everything, every every failure or everything yep. that he falls short on. You know, it's it's like, well, I I thought you I thought you were bringing me a, a Toyota. I hate Toyotas. I got a Ford instead. But when in reality. You know, he just never. It's like he always has an answer for 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 his misfortunes uh, and and an excuse for everything. And 
he always makes yep. it seem like he's on top of everything when he's completely not on top of everything. So I would look at like Uncut Gems as a <laughs> as an example of that. But also such a perfect he's example. like an Eddie Haskell, you know, archetype. I mean Eddie Eddie uh-huh. Haskell and uh-huh. Leave It to Beaver, he's another guy that's he's always it's he's always polishing his dark reality into something manageable. Uh but you're right, there aren't a lot of positive qualities of this guy i'm not sure that there was really any in if you look at him in today's in in today's lens he's not there's not much maybe maybe at that time period he he was more lovable but certainly he's he doesn't have a high respect for women certainly he doesn't tell the truth he doesn't care about the fact that he killed a policeman um it certainly Mm -hmm. was not filmed in a way that felt as gritty and real as we might see it today um, it, you know, it was a little bit of like a comedic or almost an Indiana Jones S type of murder, mm-hmm. but yeah, you know, at the same time, we know what he's done and, and it's a hard, it's hard to get on his team yet. I do think we do pull for them to a certain extent, especially because he has Gene yeah. Seberg with him and where we don't want her to fall into, we don't want, I don't think we want her to go with him. If, if, if I'm. I think I, I to that point at the moment she does turn on him at the end. I found it exhilarating. Yes, uh, because I I am watching it now through today's lens and my lens of how I feel about things. And if you do do it in that way, um, and boy, it's the only way you can do it. You, you know, you can't experience it through another time period. It's, it's just how you take it in now. It does come off in a lot of ways as an expose of to- toxic masculinity. The way I mean, and and that's not the, the I, I'm I'm kind of varying. It's not that's not what it's about. But I mean, just like there's times when she she's talking about how she's pregnant, and he's like, you should have been more careful. And I mean, it's really, it's 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 a, it's a whole lot. But yet, I'm still in there. I'm trying to explore what she likes about him, what she's figuring out about him, what is there to like about him. There's it's 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 fascinating to see their relationship and their poking and prodding of each other and and does come around to amazing place when she does make that phone call that she it yeah. turns out that she had a little there was more power that she was uh you know had in her hand the whole time because she was feeling it out too and she's she was fascinated but she didn't know what what you know what exactly to do but then until she did know what to do and yeah one tidbit about that scene uh, I was looking at some researching some interviews and things um as i told you that they they would do the dialogue later they would dub the dialogue and Mm -hmm. just film the scenes uh with no sound that's crazy when the scene where she comes back to tell him that she'd called the police she they had a big argument about how to do that scene and she wanted to play it french she said she'd be frantic because i was confused when i saw that scene i said why is she so calm, and why isn't he like leaving? Why and is running he out so calm? More immediately, yeah. yep. Made it didn't make sense to me, but apparently they had a big argument about the scene, and she wanted to play it frantically, and he wanted her to play it very calm. Mm. And finally, he let he relented and let her play it uh, very frantic. I guess they I guess they only had a certain amount of film; they couldn't do it both ways yep. or whatever it is. And when they went to dub the sound. She came to the conclusion that he was right for her to have been more at ease when she came in or more just like withdrawn. So she, her dialogue is sullen and withdrawn, but her visual, her, her emotions, uh, you, you know, her physicality is very aggressive if you look closely. That's that, just an aside. No, that's about, not an aside. That's you know. crazy, actually. I, like that makes me want to rewatch the whole scene because I mean, if you're just taking it in, just with, with you know, by hearing yeah. it, it's it is calm, and I just I found that incredible. I loved how powerfully calm she was. But what, what was it was really unique that he was calm too, because you figure someone like him who is always scrambling, always getting by, always finding a way to kind of just, you know, keep going. Um, he doesn't want to go. And, and I think it comes back to he's, he does. He is exhausted. He's kind of sick of, of, of the life of yeah. the running. And, you know, the, uh, from, from what I gather, um, you know, he, uh, you know, he ends up dying and, um, you know, he just is, he ends up, he's kind of on, uh, he's, he's exhausted. He's tired. He, he ends up getting shot. 
and they, the name comes from, you know, he, he has his last breaths and he's out of breath and he's breathless, which I thought was really cool. It's kind of, I love when the name, um, you know, coincides with the end in a cool, cool way like that. But, uh, what, what a, what a cool, stunning, visually beautiful film. Like, like I was saying earlier, when he, he was finding moments of beauty within it, there's one point towards the end when they're driving away and he's like, you know, he's like stops. He's like, look at the, look at the concords there. They were all lit up. And like, this was like in, in a frantic moment. And I just, there's so much to look at. And there was times, like I mentioned it earlier when they, the camera was just on her when they're driving, there's times where he gets out of the car and the, the camera stays in the car while he goes and talks to someone. There was one scene where he's yes, getting chased. I remember that. There's another scene where he's getting chased by, and, um, you know, the, the inspector and, uh, they show him, they show the inspector through on a mirror, on a glass, like you can see them and you can just see him casually walking by. It made me think of like Tarantino's films, like, or just modern day films where they're using that angle in just the most stunning way where like, if you're not paying attention, you're not realizing what they're showing you. And this is, I mean, this was taking place 70 years ago now. It's, 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 and it's the filmmakers today that we love are, 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 are obviously inspired by and using techniques that come from this era. It's so yeah. cool. And they're inspired by, you know, the filmmakers of their time. Yep. And they're inspired by, you know, Hitchcock and, mm-hmm. and the greats. They're, they're utilizing their methods in different ways or with what they have available. But they're speaking to the great filmmakers that they idolize. And, yeah. And, you know, that, that's why they're doing, you know, crime films or mystery films, yep. but doing something different with them. I like to think about the back and forth. Like, I thought about it a lot with Fellini and Woody Allen, or like kind of contemporaries from different places. And you mentioned his, Hitchcock and Wells. They were obviously inspired by uh, each other and, and taking things from each other. I, I love that as contemporary thinking. But let's um, it's kind of stare, stare us towards the end here. What, um, what, are there any films or scenes, if you want to get more specific, that um, uh, you you feel are really you know kind of are modern day examples of of what the French New Wave did. Is there anything that um yeah yeah There's got to be some things. I know you. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we could do a whole second podcast on this, but no certainly doubt. Pulp Fiction yep. absolutely takes scene uh, the scene in the apartment. Really, to me, is 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 the Butch. Uh, the butch scene with his girlfriend when he throws, he doesn't throw the fight ends up killing the guy and they run off into the hotel and they have this scene where, you know, he's talking about one thing, but she's mesmerized by the television and she's Mm -hmm. talking about other things. But, you know, it's like that hard boiled crime story that you've heard a thousand times, but it's done in a different way. Um, uh, Once upon a time in Hollywood Mm -hmm. actually uses the jump cuts to great, uh, with a much a little bit more uh, skill, maybe finesse. Uh, a little bit more precision and mm-hmm. finesse, but absolutely uses the jump cuts, uses um, non-dialogue scenes to great effect. We just watch somebody walk across a parking lot, across a street, into a store. We don't know what these things are about, and uh, I would start with him. I, w- I don't know what about you? Yeah, well, there's four films that kind of. I just couldn't stop thinking about when I'm when I'm watching any of these films. Uh, True Romance is one of those. Tony Scott's film, um, yeah. just those two on the run together. Uh, Hannah, Hannah, and her sisters. Woody Allen film. Reservoir Dogs, another um, Tarantino film. I thought a lot about it in Reservoir Dogs. Production company, A Band Apart, which is named after uh, Band of Outsiders. Yes. Uh, oh, is it really? Is that where that name comes from? Yes, an, um, an homage to A Band Apart. That's so to cool. To A Band of Outsiders. Yeah. And uh, the. The last one I had was uh, Lost in Translation, Sofia Coppola's movie. I actually imagined I could almost place the characters, um, both the female lead and the male lead, in um, in uh, from Breathless, in uh, directly into Lost in Translation. I would love to see both both sets of characters play both sets of roles. There, so there was there was a lot of uh, synergy there that that I was really thinking about the whole time. But yeah, I, you're right. I can go on and on. There's so much. That that we'll bottle rocket in there. Yep. Uh, as a as a play on breathless, there's a specific scene that I think they stole when he's trying to find a good car to steal. There's a scene in Bottle Rocket where Dignan is 
you know, doing the exact same thing, just looking around the street trying to find a good car to steal. I uh, mean, if you know Wes <laughs> Anderson, you know that's obviously what he's being inspired by in that moment. I'm such a bottle rocket might, and this is saying a lot, and I'm not sticking to it because. Wes has so many good films, but it may be my favorite. I, yeah. I, I was on it, you know, very early, and just I was, I just still laugh. It's, I think it makes me laugh the hardest. Like it, yeah. really, it and one Absolutely. scene I always think about is when he's, um, when he's robbing, um, he's about to rob the bookstore, and he's got the, um, kind of the, the bandaid on his nose, and the guy's like, "What is that for?" And he really has no reason. He's, so just, he's just like, "Open he the has door." No answer, so he's, <laughs> he has no answer. Yeah, <laughs> it's really. It's, I love it, and it's and at the time I'd never seen comedy like that. I don't think I'd nope. ever seen an, uh, that that play out. Um, I'd also throw, but like for modern day, I'd throw the Safety Brothers. You know, good Agreed. time and I love you bring that up. Is, yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, yeah, this only makes me want to, and I'm glad you threw in those recommendations earlier. It only makes me want to dig into more French New Wave. And I'm just, I, you know what? And after watching Fellini and discussing Fellini with you, and just I'm watching more and more older films, I can't get over. Um, and this is this is naivety speaking, um, just because I feel like I haven't dug back in much. I can't get over how good and how groundbreaking and how modern the ideas in them are, and just like there's so. Um, you know, I think I was discounting for too long. And don't get me wrong. I've loved old films. I watch Hitchcock a lot. I do. And there's a lot of other old things. But I, there's, there's been so many gaps uh, in old films and, 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 you know, international older films and classics that I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm so excited to explore more. And I know I was saying the same thing at the end of the Fellini episode. But this, seeing these films and seeing these ideas in them, it really gets me excited. Me too. We really have an, we have an opportunity here to educate ourselves and hopefully our audiences here yeah. about things that you know maybe things we've known about but we are revisiting them or we're seeing it for the first time so mm-hmm. you know we have an opportunity here to to really dig into the past and learn a lot all right anyone out there who likes uh, uh mitch's Fellini drawing uh holler at us it's amazing <laughs> if not i want it so so uh you know but um 48 hours 48 hours or it's it's or, 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 or it comes my way um Mitch, yeah. thank you so much man are you, are you uh you've kind of been my um uh uh teacher on some of this french new wave stuff and i really i appreciate it i i hope to become um you know the jedi uh at one point and yeah. get to know all this stuff but i really appreciate you you know steering me towards towards yeah. these films and talking about them and uh, being here today appreciate it man Let's do a part two when uh, when you get through the next uh, round of them. I'd love to, if that's possible. Absolutely, yeah. No, we we really we need to dig into Band of Outsiders and a couple others. So yeah, let's revisit this. Um, so we'll do that. Great. Uh, and thanks again, Mitch. And thank you, everyone out there, uh, for joining the party once again. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at OsirisPod.com.